Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hello, uh, my name is uh, Andrew Hurd. I live in uh, South Holland in the Netherlands. And the thing I love to do is cycle and swim, get out there, get some fresh air and also uh, feel the water across you and uh, moving through it. In fact, when I was much, much younger, decades ago, I used to enjoy triathlon. So. so you're based in Holland. What brought you to Holland to begin with? Okay, I came to work for the European Space Agency and at uh, the European Space Agency, we say ESA, we pursue peaceful exploration of space and the use of space. We've got about two and a half thousand staff in the agency and uh, we have 22 uh, member states helping us do our work, guiding us. And we also work with industry and other space agencies. So that sounds powerful. What exactly does the agency do? Well, we build and launch uh, rockets and satellites. We also train uh, astronauts at the moment for the International Space Station. We watch over the Earth, so Earth observation, seeing what's happening. And we explore space. You know, we go out there, explore the planets, exoplanets. And also we try to answer those big science questions about the universe. And, and this is all part of our European vision for space. It gives me particular pleasure to work there because we pursue peaceful purposes, exploitation of space. So that means, uh, means a lot and is a, a personal driver. When did you get the inspiration that told you that knowledge management was something that you needed to pursue, let alone in an industry of space? That's an interesting question. In fact, it, it takes me back to uh, just before the turn of the millennium, 1998, uh, when I pursued a, a master's in business administration. I had an idea in my thesis that there was a chain of states that an individual went through uh, when they were learning. So they were novices, what I called secondaries, uh, tutees, primaries, and champions. And it was this concept of champions that really uh, illuminated my imagination. Part of my master's thesis, I wrote a paper on uh, forecasting innovation adoption within organizations, considering information flows, opinion leaders, and whether they could be considered to be indicators for success. And that led to uh, the completion of my, of my thesis. It was about uh, 25,000 words, I think, as I remember. And uh, it led me into many, many interesting avenues, uh, such as innovations themselves, the concepts of diffusion within organizations or even society, uh, looking at things like information theory and entropy, so uh, how we seem to lose information naturally, and then uh, things like chaos theory, why it's so difficult within an organization to predict. You may understand, but you don't necessarily have the ability to predict what is going to happen and create certainty. You, it sounded like you almost had predictive modeling to be able to assess an organization to see how well they innovate. Is that right? I, what I tried to do was I tried to create some categories of entities and their status of more and more information that they gather and how they're able to use that. So, for instance, if you are a novice, what you need is awareness, because as a novice, you are ignorant. It's not a pleasant word sometimes, but you are ignorant of something, of the information that's unknown. You may know many things, and we'll probably come back to this theme, but of this new innovation, 
you don't know anything. You're not aware. So the first thing is awareness. The next is to be a secondary. So a secondary actually has no motivation. They need motivation. Those they need understanding, not simple awareness, but they need understanding in order to know that this thing is important. And what I say regularly to people is that if you have someone new, they need to know why it's important to do it, what would happen if you didn't do it, and more importantly, what would happen if you did it badly. So that's the message you're trying to get across to what we would call a secondary. A tutee is very simply understood. It's someone who needs knowledge. They need training. They are getting those basic fundamentals of what it is they're going to do. What is this initiative? How do I apply it? The primary is someone who now has that knowledge, but they don't have the skills. They've got to apply it. In other words, they know the theory. They need to create practice. And they will keep applying it until they reach a successful outcome. If they have a successful outcome, they are then a champion. They are then an opinion leader. They are educational influential. They know a way to do it. And the reality is that even if you are a champion, you will learn as you teach. So as you then reach back to others that are novices, secondaries, duties, primaries, and you can then help that chain Mm -hmm. move along. One of the important things that I remind people within my organization, the space agent, European Space Agency, is that it is a different activity that you do with a novice than with you do a secondary or a duty and a prime. And therefore, there are different products. So it's not one product fits them all. And also, obviously, there's a temporal aspect. You can raise awareness rather quickly. Can you create skills and successful application of skills quickly? Probably not, because not every problem is the same, and you need to understand the nuances of that particular innovation or that technical aspect that you're trying to put into Mm -hmm. that individual. This framework, have you adopted it and deployed it anywhere? Yes, we've adopted it within the European Space Agency. It's helped on the knowledge management to understand why we need different products. It's one of the tools that we use uh, within my directorate so that we understand what the resources we need to develop in order to address the user correctly. We need to know which box, if you like, the user sits in, and therefore what product does the expert need to develop. One of the things we combine with that is, of course, that as an individual expert, you will have a propensity to develop a certain type of product that suits you rather than that suits the user. So that's why we give this model, and it seems to be very understandable, particularly by their line managers, because they're part of the enforcement, if you like, or the motivation of the system, the excitation Mm. of the system to make sure it happens. Two things. I like the word or the term champion versus expert, because there's a different feel with the expert or expertise than a champion there seems to be more of a team player involved with a champion than an expert sometimes and the second piece is that you're building a user interface if you will to learning that is student or receiver centric as you've said you build the product to the consumer not to the level you're at. You have to meet them where they're at so they can consume whatever the transfer is. It's a simple process. It sounds like a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, well, who wouldn't do that? 
but how many people have taken a course or a workshop or anything that started up here when you're down here and, and there's just frustration because you don't know what's Absolutely. going on. You, you don't have enough knowledge to be aware of what you don't yes. know. Well, that sounds like a fabulous system. What would be your prescription for someone in the audience that may say, you know what, I like the sounds of that. What are some of the pitfalls that come along with that? Are there any? Um, there are some considerations for sure. And the considerations are that uh, that evolution, if you like, that uh, expansion of the individual's capability is at the individual level. Within an organization, you tend to have three levels. One is of the individual. One is of, let's call it the unit level, however big that unit is. And the other is the organization as a whole. It is rather theoretical, but you do need to consider that simply if you want to look at introducing the innovation across the organization. Within knowledge management, typically that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to apply this new initiative across the organization. Clearly a mandate from the top is helpful, but that doesn't create knowledge management at the grassroots. I can see you smiling and nodding, so you, you agree. But equally, you have to yes. have the other way up as well. And that's something else that I looked at in the thesis was that there are two aspects within an organization. One is climate and one is culture. So climate, the way you do stuff, the process, the tools, the enablers, and the culture is what you believe, what you believe in, what's the motivation. So at the individual level, you need to look at, for climate, you need to look at their individual capacity. And that's what this uh, five-step individual development is about. It's about increasing the capacity of the individual to do that and to do it effectively. And when you say that though, it sounds like there's some ownership on the individual to participate. As you just described that, I hear that a problem might arise if you've got an engagement or a receiver or a trainee, if you will, that says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm full. I, I don't want to learn anymore. I already know this or, or whatever, whatever that resistance is. Do you have to get buy-in from each individual that they're part of this? They have to put into this? Yep. And there are two, two sides of that, of the answer to that question. One is you need to address the cultural side, which is their motivation. So the climate is their capacity. The cultural side is their motivation, but they can't think of that in isolation. The organization then has to, for the climate side, has to provide resources, which is the time you're talking about. They have to provide either additional people or additional time. Okay. There is a solution to this, which I can tell you about. And then on the culture side, they have to show justification. They have to show that the organization itself believes in it. So it's not only they have to provide the time and the money, but they also have to show some belief, some commitment. And that you might look at things like recognition. If so, And not talking monetary recognition, just simple, uh, this is very good. This person is doing the right thing or this unit is doing the right thing and they are showing the results and they are enjoying what they're doing because of it. Yeah, you bring up a factor of this internal joy, right? To feel happy or content. Let, let's not even call it joy. But if you're content with what you're getting or participating in is one of those factors that helps that engagement and exchange and learning and all those things. Yeah. To, to kind of ball this up into a summary of that initial experience of where your research kind of fed your imagination and your innovative 
idea of creating this uh, pathway. Do you recall any one piece or any one research or any one author that was like instrumental in helping perceive this? Totally, totally, I would have to say. So Everett Rogers wrote a book. I actually have his fourth edition, which is 1995. It was a book that I uh, picked up out of a library when I was at, uh, I was actually working at university and I did my MBA whilst I was working. It's called Diffusion of Innovations. For me, it was a sentinel piece of work. But what was most interesting to myself was that uh, I'd already been working for 10 years in a number of different areas. And I could see the logic and sense of it, but I could also see where I could add to it. So it wasn't necessarily that things were thought that uh, this is not correct or whatever. It was more that I'm not sure if this is complete. I'm not sure if it's the total reality. So then that's what led me to to go into these other more, let's say, uh, perimeter areas of looking at things like chaos theory of information flow, uh, what were innovations, and how you might indicate a success. And in that, it was the opinion leaders that were interesting. And, it, and it's, it's sort of interesting because then I must say I liked, I preferred the term educational influential more than I like the word champion because it sounds a bit elitist. But opinion leaders is another one. And I've been very fortunate in my current work to work with some key opinion leaders, educational influentials, and it has really uh, helped and I would say been an indicator in the success in, in the area that I work in uh, when compared with, with other areas. So it really is, really is key. And it was really, I would say that book was a fantastic and a fascinating collection of research and reflecting on other people's research. I think the bibliography itself is 30 pages long or something. So <laughs> it was a, a seminal piece of work uh, in a book. I think it was highly readable. And uh, out of that came this idea, and it, it led to where I am today. So I'm rather, rather fortunate to come across that. Well, thank you for setting the groundwork and the foundational history of what was and what influenced you to become the influential leader you are now. And let's talk about it in our next podcast. I'd love to do that. Looking forward to it. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.